Welcome to Broadway World, Some Like It Pop podcast. I am Matt Tamanini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic. And as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and resident audio bibliophile, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, how are things in L.A.? It's a little uh, rainy here today, so you know people are hiding in their houses and, and hoping to survive. But it never rains in Southern California. Oh my god. And I'm the old one. Anyway, you you can follow Jen on Twitter at EpineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q, and you can follow me at BWMatt, that's B-W-W-M-A-T-T, and you're going to read us both across various Broadway World sites. Not only can you find all episodes of something like it pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So go to one or all of those apps and subscribe so you can get every episode of something like it pop as soon as it's available, then rate and review the show so that Jen and I are able to find some sort of external emotional validation for the direction of which our lives have gone. On this episode, we're going to do a brief recap of last week's Academy Awards. Then we're going to chat about what, despite every logical measurement, might be the best show on television. Then we're going to do a quick and dirty look at a whole slew of TV shows that are returning or debuting in the month of March. Then we will close out the episode with some show and tell. Now, Jen, you live in the greater Los Angeles area, and you brave Carmageddon every day to get to work. So in between listening to the Hamilton cast recording, you do listen to a lot of audiobooks when you drive. How much time each week do you spend just in your car in general? Well, um, I live 22 miles away from my job. So that takes approximately anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half one way. So that's a uh, minimum two hours a day, max three, three and a half hours a day. And and so how many books do you listen to in the course of, say, a month? I usually can get through one, maybe two a week. Okay. Obviously, like if it's a Stephen King one, it's going to take me a month and a half. But, <laughs> so what um, are you listening to one right now? I am, yes. What, what is that? Is it something that's appropriate to share? <laughs> yes, I only listen to erotica. Okay. Um, no, it is called Quiet, and it is about the power of introverts. Oh, so this isn't this isn't a novel. This is like a self-help book. It was a TED Talk that was expanded into a book, and I am a very big fan of introverts, being one, believe it or not. <laughs> and um, someone recommended it to me. I like to mix it up, you know, like one week I'll read a YA novel – one week I'll read an autobiography, one week I'll read, you know, it, it just, I have to, I always have at least three on my Audible to um, whatever strikes my fancy that week. So I'm interested in the fact that you, you said you read them. You don't actually read them. You listen to someone else read them. Yes, but I've spoken to a librarian and she said that it is designated that you have read them. Wait, you actually spoke to a librarian about the difference between reading and listening to a book? Yes, she's my cousin, oh. and we uh, got we got my dad into it when he fell ill and he couldn't read anymore. She recommended audiobooks, and um, that's how I got into them. Okay, all right, fair enough. All right, Jen, we are taping this episode on Saturday, March 5th. So this past Sunday, we had the Academy Awards. And since we both spent a lot of time writing about the, the awards last week, and we did a whole bonus episode about the Oscars, I wanted to do a short little recap of some of the biggest moments from the broadcast. Jen, you're an admitted Chris Rock sycophant. So why don't you start with what you thought of his performance as Oscars host in general and about the hashtag Oscars so white spe situation specifically and how he handled it. Well, I always love when you say that we're taping this because it, it definitely dates you and makes you feel like you're older than me. That's true. I, I was giving you crap about the difference <laughs> between reading and listening to books. And now I'm saying taping rather than yeah. recording. So there, whatever. I am a Chris Rock fanatic. I loved his opening monologue so much. Um, the fact that he just dove right in it. That's just vintage Chris Rock right there. 
He says exactly what's on his mind. He loves making people uncomfortable. He was the right guy for the job. I thought he did a fantastic job. I was waiting for all these messages from my family, like, oh, he's so racist. Why does he got to be like that? It's just for fun. And all my family were like, wow, he was really great. (laughs) It was just bizarre. Well, it's interesting because I found it to be really funny, but there were some things that made me uncomfortable. Like, it made me cringe a little bit when he made a joke that in the 1960s, African-Americans didn't protest against the Oscars, even though they did every year. But he said they didn't because they had real things to protest about. It did make me uncomfortable that he was making it sound like everything was great and there was no reason to protest for social justice or against inequality anymore because there was plenty of things for people to protest against and people do protest a lot right now. So that made me a little uncomfortable. And there were a lot of think pieces written this week kind of criticizing him. But as a whole, I found his approach intelligent, honest, entertaining. Obviously, (laughs) I'm a straight white man, so I acknowledge that my privilege might kind of blind me to other aspects of arguments at times. But I thought he did a pretty admirable job, especially given the fact that he was named host before the nominations came out. So he kind of was really thrown into an untenable situation. Yeah, I think he was, like I said, the right guy for the job. And I love uncomfortable moments, even the ones that didn't land. Like the Stacey Dash thing. I don't don't even know what that was, but it didn't land and it was awkward, but it made me laugh really hard because it was so it was so clear that it didn't work. And right away you're like, okay, moving on. Um, A lot of people had issues like you did. And a lot of people were saying that, like, oh, he was only talking about Oscars so white and the difference between blacks and whites. And I was like, well, he's a black guy. Of course, that's what he's going to talk about. You know, if. Uh, Yeah, I had no problem with that. That that was if he didn't make a predominant amount of jokes about that, if he didn't come back to that throughout the show. And this is a terrible choice of words, and I (laughs) don't mean it this way. But it would have been like he was whitewashing the issue. And and so I had no problem with him repeatedly coming back to that because I think it was something that needed to be said and needed to be focused on. So I had no problem with that. I just, I don't know. I think he was at times missed the bigger point of Oscars So White while he focused on the specific Hollywood minutia of it. Okay. <laughs> but he, I did think, that being said, like I said, I thought he was hilarious. I thought he was much funnier than who else we've seen lately, funnier than NPH and Seth MacFarlane. So I thought he did a great job. Yeah, it was really entertaining. Moving on to some of these winners and losers, you and I, uh, on our preview episode, pretty much called all all of the big categories correctly, save a few. Leonardo DiCaprio and Brie Larson won for Best Actor and Actress. Alicia Vikander won for Supporting Actress. Uh, Alejandro Iñárritu winning for Director. But there were some surprises. Mark Rylance, whom I was on record saying I wanted to win, he won for Best Supporting Actor. And Spotlight upset The Revenant for Best Picture. So there were a few, even though most things were pretty status quo, there were a few surprises. Did you have any thoughts about some wins or losses that you were surprised about? I think I was I was really happy for Mark Rylance. As much as Sly was the sentimental favorite, at the end of the day, it's still Sylvester Stallone. And are we going to really give him an award for acting? But, and that's why I was really happy to see, I'm, I'm always happy when stage actors win because they're the best, but yeah. um, my favorite surprise of the night was Ex Machina winning visual effects. Yes. I was really psyched about that. Yeah, that's actually the next thing on my list that I was going to talk about. But yeah, go ahead, f- talk about it a little bit. I think I had picked, because we both got it wrong, I think one of us picked Star Wars, one of us picked Mad Max, and Ex Machina won. Yeah, I picked Star Wars, you picked Mad Max, so that would have declared a winner in our wager contest. We had a pretty uh, anticlimactic Oscar bet. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But you're right, I was super happy that that movie was recognized, because it was one of my favorite movies of the year, and it was actually... 
I preferred that to many of the Best Picture nominees. So I was really glad that that one got recognized even in, you know, a, a smaller technical category. Um, my other favorite moment was Ennio Morricone uh, winning for Best Score. Yeah. The little 87-year-old man. I don't know. I know he was de- yeah. technically not a favorite, but maybe put the 87-year-old a little bit closer to the stage. That's just my opinion. <laughs> He was adorable, and I love that he won at least one Oscar for The Hateful Eight, which was shamefully overlooked. Yes, we agree on that. We won't berate that. But sticking with Morricone's win, the one thing that kind of surprised me in a negative way was the fact that that ungodly awful Sam Smith song from Spectre won... Best song, like not only, I mean, just in itself, regardless of its status as an Oscar nominee and now an Oscar winner, that's not a good song. It's really not. Like it sounds, it sounds like someone threw some notes on a page and the song itself is just random and not good. And then somebody arranged it to sound like a haunting Adele inspired James Bond song. And the fact that it won over Lady Gaga and Diane Warren's uh, Till It Happens to You, especially after that unbelievable performance and that powerful moment when all of these sexual assault survivors came on stage for the Oscar to then go to the song from James Bond. It was just, you know, in my mind, it was just kind of another tone deaf moment for the Academy. And that's not even one of the best James Bond themes. What's no, it's not. No, it was terrible. And I didn't mean, I I guess I did mean tone deaf in multiple ways, but yeah, it's just like how anyone could think that was the best song of the year was comical. It was. And I, I love that song by the weekend. Like the movie is atrocious, but I, he's one of my favorite artists and um, I love that song and his performance was better. (laughs) Yeah. And um, that was just, that was one of those gasp worthy moments when they walk off the stage and all these sexual assault victims and everyone's cheering and everyone's hugging and then they're like yeah we're gonna give it to the other guy you're like really that's just happened (laughs) and i have nothing against sam smith i think he's very talented i i don't think he did a very had a very good performance that night but then he went and compounded the fact that he shouldn't have won but he did was saying that he was he thought he was the first openly gay person to win an oscar which he was not he he misinterpreted an article that ian mcclellan had written and said that there had not been an openly gay actor to win an award there's been a many openly gay people to win academy awards including that night and and the year before so there are plenty of them and so he just read an article misunderstood it and decided not to google the, the actual facts before he gave up got up and spoke before millions of people not to mention that uh that one guy sir elton john yeah <laughs> yeah there you go is he gay i i'd, I'd rather not say i i don't want to i mean i don't want to guess i don't want to assume anything yeah i i hadn't heard um we did mention our predictions wager there are there were 24 different awards presented during the oscars telecast and somehow jen you and i both ended up with 17 correct predictions a number that even though it's just over 70 percent like i'm pretty pleased with 17 of 24 especially considering all of the technical categories that honestly i know nothing about so in all fairness we ended up picking a lot of the same winners but in the end there was no loser in our binge watching our forced binge watch wager so i think it's just a push you know we don't no one has to watch the other show and we'll just save the wager for for something else to bet on in the future are you cool with that yeah i think we should both be pretty proud of ourselves i mean we we talk a lot of big game that we know what we're talking about, so it's always nice to feel validated every once in a while, <laughs> especially since we were, like, guessing on the short films and, and the technical yeah. awards, but I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think so, too. And and, and to go back, you, you did beat me in our Emmy contest in the fall by one, but we still did, I don't remember the numbers, but we both did pretty darn well in the Emmy competition, too, so I feel like after 
you know, two award shows on air now doing this podcast, we're we're doing okay in the predictions department. Like, I feel like we're not just some random weirdos talking into uh, into microphones. Like, we actually might have a little bit of a clue of what we're talking about. Well, I think we're getting there. You know, there's always room to grow. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Well, here's – these aren't predictions, but these are recommendations. You love Chris Rock, and, and it's always a possibility that he could return as host next year. But let's take him out of the equation. Who else would you recommend as being – a host for the 2017 Oscars. Well, I have two. Do you want me to say both or do you want me to say well, one? I have, I, I have two as well. One, just in case you said the other. Oh, that's what I did too. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling we might have the same two, but okay. maybe not. So go ahead. You go with one and, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, Louis CK. Okay. Not one of mine, uh, but that's definitely a good possibility. Why would you want Louis? I think his intro was the best of the night. Um, he presented, was it documentary short or live action short? And I, it was cracking up the whole time. And I was like, oh, he could really carry this show. He has a, he's a really good tone. He, he knows how to make, to find that balance between like sarcasm and humor. And I think he would do a really great job. I think so too. And I think, I think it'd be interesting that he's not like a, he's not known as a movie star, but he's in a lot of really good movies in these kind of supporting roles. He was in Trumbo. And he was in uh, American, the, the David O. Russell movie, the one that American won. Hustle. American Hustle. He was in American Hustle and was really funny in that. But he's not a movie guy, so I think that would be interesting. But Yes, but let's not forget that he wrote and directed the American classic Pootie Tang. I'm just going <laughs> to ignore that. Um, Bringing it back to Chris Rock. Yeah, uh, yeah, bringing Chris Rock. I think Louis is great, but I, I do think it might be time to kind of venture away from the white guy for a while. So here's my two, and and maybe these might overlap with your second choice. But I would personally love to see Amy Schumer host. Oh, that's a good. One. Uh, uh, you know, I think we, the Oscars need to consciously skew younger, and she's definitely appeals to a younger audience. She's irreverent enough to, to kind of keep things interesting. And she is a burgeoning film star. My other one, who is is actually my number one choice, is Key and Peele. That's what I have. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured we might overlap there. I think Key and Peele would be great, not only because of how it looks to have, uh, you know, two black men uh, hosting, but they do appeal to a younger demographic, and they're brilliant. Same thing with Amy Schumer. I think what's great about them and Louis C.K. as well is that they're not just comics who can tell a few jokes; they are brilliant social commentators as well. And I would love to kind of see the Academy say, you know what, let's branch out from our normal harem of, of hosts and, and see if we can do something a little outside the box. So my vote would be for Key and Peele or Amy Schumer. Uh, I'm the same with, I mean, any of those choices I think would be great. I don't know why the Academy has stopped calling us. Clearly, we know what's <laughs> best. You tell me it gets better. It gets better in time You say to pull myself together Pull it together You'll be fine Okay, so Jen, you and I have occasionally talked about a show that we were both really wanting to like, but at first we didn't like. But as the first season has gone on, I think we've both decided that it might be, despite a ridiculous title, a terrible uh, path to production, 
and a ridiculous concept might be the best show on TV, and that is the CW's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I remember when we first talked about this in the fall, you said you couldn't stand the lead character uh, played by series creator Rachel Bloom. Has that changed now that we're about a dozen or so episodes in? Yeah. Um, I don't, I can't even begin to understand how she has made that character who's still kind of vile into someone <laughs> endearing. Like you're still rooting for her. And that is, it's a stroke of genius because there's not a lot of redeeming qualities about her, but it's certainly hit its stride and they know exactly who they are. And somehow it, it has evolved into quite a great show. Like every character is so developed and interesting. I'm in love with Daryl Whitefeather. What, what, <laughs> I think he is one of the greatest characters on TV. And his new romance is making me so happy I can't even deal with it. Yeah, it, it's a show that should not work. It suffers from the Cougar Town Trophy Wife terrible title uh syndrome and it like we've talked about before it started as a half hour show on sitcom or on a half hour show on showtime they decided to cancel after they already picked it up they had to repackage it as an hour-long show on the cw so clearly what they thought they could get away with on showtime would not work on the cw so it did take a while for them to get their footing but you're right the not only is the show great, but the characters are so bizarre, but so interesting. And it, you can't talk about the show without talking about the music. There's one or two song or two or three songs in every episode, and they are increasingly getting better. This last episode that we saw that had the 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 Jap rap battle is that uh, the Jewish American princess rap was unbelievable. So funny. Um, I I I'm kind of surprised how much I enjoy this. I, I've i been a fan of Rachel Bloom for a long time, but I didn't anticipate buying into the show on so many different levels. Me too. And we would be remiss in that Jap rap battle to not mention <laughs> my favorite Daryl Whitefeather in the background doing The Running Man, because that's what solidified my love for him. And also the tongue-in-cheek tribute to Les Mis as they marched onto the Los Angeles yeah. County Courthouse was just delightful. Yeah, there's been a lot. You mentioned this on Twitter. There's been a lot of Les Mis references on CW shows lately. There was this, and then there was a, a pretty yeah on I Zombie where they played uh, one day more. Was it one day more underneath them, and they planted a red little flag in the ground. It was that was pretty great. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, now we both enjoy it. Where do you rank this in terms of current shows on television? Is it the best show on TV? Is it in the top five? Where does this fall for you? Are you asking me to rank something? <laughs> Shocking. I can't believe that you might not actually already have this ranked somewhere. Um, the problem with ranking it is I am a specific ranker, so I can't say, oh, what's your favorite song? I need a genre. I need a time period. Okay. I need. So if we say it's a comedy, if we say it's a drama, is it... Is it one of the best comedies on TV? Yes. Is it one of the best TV shows? I would say in the top 10. Okay. It is where in your comedy rankings, it's definitely a comedy. It's a, a dark dramedy, but it definitely hues more dra or comedy than drama. So where in your comedies does it, does it fall? I can't, I can't do that off the top of my head. You know, I have to sit down with a spreadsheet. Let's table I'm sorry, that. I'm just, let's table that okay. for a future list episode. Okay, fair enough. So if you are not checking out 
uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, do so. Uh, it airs on the CW on what nights of the week, Jen? Mondays. It airs Mondays at 8 o'clock on the CW right before Jane the Virgin, which is one of my favorite shows, and they're kind of... Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is kind of starting to pull yeah. up to Jane's level, so which is tough to do because I think, you know, and you and I, have, you and I have talked about this before. Both of them have untenable plots that you think there is no way for them to keep coming up with character-specific and character-authentic stories for both of these weird setups, but the the writers continue to do it on both shows, so that's really exciting. And to mention that both shows are female-driven, both on screen and off screen. Amen. Keep it coming, Amen. sisters. I try to be good to others. Treat my fellow men like brothers and sisters. That's the story I'm the hero in. So how come I can't zero in on why this song sounds so sinister? Oh my god. I'm the villain in my own story. I'm the witch in my own tale. Though I insist I'm the protagonist, it's clear that my soul is up for sale. I'm the villain in my own story. Alright, so a ton of new TV shows are premiering or returning in March. Jen, you and I have seen some of the screeners for these shows, um, but let's just kind of do a real quick catch-up on the shows that are returning, where we left off at the end of their season finales last year, and then what we know or what we've seen in the new seasons. Jen, why don't you start us off with a show that I know we, we both like in Bates Motel. This is what I remember, and you can add to it. I remember that <laughs> um, Sheriff Romero wound up killing Bob Paris, who was kind of the overlying villain for the last season. Um, Dylan and Emma wound up kissing, which was scandalous and delightful. He gave uh, a lot of his drug money to her dad to have her lungs replaced. Um, Norman wanted to run away with Bradley, and Norma knocked him out. And he escaped and then ran away with Bradley and then killed her. Yeah. <laughs> that was my little summary. Yeah. Well, and then I don't remember the exact details, but at the end of this season, I remember there being a lot more creepiness with like Norman dressing up as Norma and thinking he was Norma, which obviously ties directly into Psycho. Um, and there are more, you know, with him actually putting on her clothes and thinking he's her. So that's definitely going from Norman's this, you know, this violent boy when he, you know, blacks out to he's turning into a serial killer uh, as the seasons go on. So, yeah, that's definitely, uh, it's an uncomfortable situation for Norma to be in. It is. It, it, it's an interesting perspective, too. Like, I mean, we all know that Norma is far from a perfect mother, but <laughs> what do you do when you start to realize that your son is a, well, psycho? <laughs> and yeah. Did you watch the season premiere? I have not. I've not watched it yet. It's on my list of things to do. Okay. But, but I won't mention I, anything, but it's it's only going to get worse. <laughs> which is how you would expect. This is one of those weird shows, you know, kind of like Hannibal on NBC a few years ago, where we know what happens. You know, mm -hmm. we, we know where they're going with this. And while we don't know the path they're taking, you know, we, we know that, spoiler alert on Psycho, that's 50 years old, Norman keeps his mother's corpse in the basement and pretends he's her. So this is, it's interesting to see how they start to weave elements of that that foreshadow uh, the Hitchcock film in this show. So I, I loved it. I was distraught when they killed Bradley because I really liked her. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to this season. 
by the time this episode comes out, the season premiere will already have aired on A&E. But you can check it out. A&E does a great job of keeping episodes on their website. Uh, they don't usually put them on Hulu or any other streaming services right away, but a&E.com or whatever their random website is should have the episode uh, by the time you hear this. Now, another show that's coming up that I think, Jen, you and I both agree is one of the best on TV is The Americans. It has its fourth season premiere on Wednesday, March 16th on FX. At the end of, of last season, Elizabeth and Philip um, confessed to their daughter Paige that they weren't uh, American travel agents, but instead were deep cover Russian spies. Uh, Paige is their daughter, who I don't understand where she gets the red hair from, but she'd kind of been growing more religious and independent. Uh, so when her parents told her that they were actually Russians infiltrating the United States, she was really conflicted. And at the end of the season finale, she told her pastor who her parents actually were. What I, Jen, have you watched the first couple episodes or any of them at all? I've watched the first one. Okay. So in this, in this fourth season... Uh, what I love is is that this show doesn't have great ratings. It's one of those shows that's on a cable network, and it's a prestige show, and it, it survives on the buzz that it generates. So they're basically saying, you know what, if you haven't watched the first three seasons, that's your fault. We're not going to catch you up. They're jumping in right away. There's no catch-up, no room for bandwagoners, uh, and they just go right into it. I've watched the first two episodes, and they are as good as anything in this series. And what, what I think is, is so great about the show is that yes, there's a lot of eighties wigs and there's a lot of espionage and there's a lot of Russian being spoken, which you don't Ah, see on Russian BTW. Is it, is it good Russian as a, Oh, it's not. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll get into that maybe some other time, but the show is really about this marriage between Elizabeth and Philip and, and how they navigate trust issues working in a, in a field where trust is not something you deal with very much. So I think it's fantastic. Um, as the season, as the first two episodes unfold, Philip and Elizabeth have to decide what to do when they find out that Paige told Pastor Tim. Then their handle handler, Gabriel, has them smuggling some weapons-grade materials. But it's really it's really great show, and I, I think it's definitely one of the top five on TV right now. I, I agree. It's all about the relationships and, and just navigating that dynamic with they're married and they're in love, but he's married to someone else. And it's it's so <laughs> twisted. And, and it's just really an interest, like a unique situation you don't see very often on television. No. So, well, and, and, and what's interesting is, is that, yes, I agree that they're in love, but it's not a, oh, I love you no. kind of love. It's a we're effed up people yeah. but we we need each other and we love each other and then it's made even more complicated by the fact that the actors are together in real life and they are having a child together you know uh carrie That's russell great. is is pregnant in real life with matthew reese's baby so like you said it's not easy to get into in the fourth season so if you are interested in this show which i highly recommend i think jen jen and i both do watch the first three seasons and catch up for season four Jen, another show that will have already returned to air by the time this this episode comes out is The Last Man on Earth, a show that you and I both both enjoy tremendously. So why don't you remind us where we were when they went away for the uh, for the holidays? Okay, so Erica uh, was pregnant with Phil's baby. Um, good looking Phil. Is that terrible to say? Not that Will Forte is not good looking, but you know, not Tandy. Not Tandy. Yeah. yeah. Tandy was still trying to win his way back into favor in the group. Um, Todd broke up with Melissa inexplicably and started having an an affair with Gail. And 
Carol is dying to get pregnant and she's really jealous of Erica, but she also, you know, wants everybody to get pregnant. So she's trying to support her. And I guess the big cliffhangers were that Phil, good looking Phil, (laughs) I hate saying that, has appendicitis, forcing Gail, the only one with any sort of um, experience to remove it. And during the operation, he flatlines. And then up in space, Phil's, uh, Tandy's brother, Mike, has decided that he has to make an attempt to get back to Earth because he has nothing else to lose. Right, because all of his worms are dying. Correct. Yeah. Um, this show is not a show that I, I – I don't think this is a show that you would normally think would be my type of comedy. Not at all. Uh, because it is super uncomfortable, and I don't like that. But I love it because it is one of those shows that where that concept is so strong and the cast is so good. Will Forte and Kristen Shale and January Jones and Mary Steenburgen. I mean, Will Ferrell shows up in this this show for literally five seconds. It was so and that's, great. <laughs> it's, I mean, like, that's the best. It's the best cameo I can think of in a long time. Another show that has recently returned uh, as of we're recording, I said on Saturday, Yesterday, the fourth season of Netflix's House of Cards premiered. I've only gotten uh, the chance to watch one episode, but for me, season three was a bit of a mess. Jen, I know you didn't even get through season three, correct? I didn't. I got really bored. My roommate stayed up last night and watched all of season four, and he said he told me to power through season three because season four is worth it. Okay, that's that's good to hear because season three ended with Claire leaving Frank uh, in the middle of his presidential primary campaign, and... For me, despite all of the ridiculous backstabbing and the elaborate twists and turns, the best thing about this show, the most constant thing in this show, was that bizarre, symbiotic, loyal relationship that Claire and Francis had. And I don't know how I feel about them being at odds, even though I've only seen the one episode of this season. Um, so we'll see. I'm, I'm excited to see that they, you know, your roommate thought it was good. The first scene of season four it rivals the weird uncomfortableness of the first scene of Billions season premiere. Um, maybe uncomfortable, but it was cool. There's a lot of great people in this season. Uh, Broadway Sebastian Arcelis is back. Uh, Cicely Tyson is in the season premiere. Ellen Burstyn is, ba- is on the show. Uh, Nev Campbell is in a featured role this season. Um, and it's also really interesting to me, Jen, you and I both watch Scandal. It's really interesting to me to see these two shows that are kind of on parallel tracks about power and the presidency and morally ambiguous people. But it's interesting that both in both of these seasons on both shows, the first ladies or at least former first lady in Melly's case are running for office while we are seeing the actual former first lady try to become the first female major party nominee for president. And it's really interesting to me to, me to see how reality has impacted what we see from these shows. And so I don't really have anything other than saying, that's kind of cool, but it's uh, I'm reserving judgment on House of Cards as a whole because if it if it wanes, I'm I'm probably going to have to throw in the towel on this one. That's fair. It, I mean, it is it is definitely a challenge. You know, like any of the shows on Netflix where you sit down and you're like, oh, there's 13 hours of television that they want you to binge, so it has to be good. And uh, season three. I got through it. (laughs) I got through it, but it wasn't great. But, okay, there's a couple new shows, Jen, on ABC that you have watched Mm -hmm. uh, that I have not, and you wanted to just give us your real quick thoughts on them. So tell us about The Family and The Real O'Neills. I watched both of these the other night. I'm taking it you didn't watch or hear anything about them? 
I mean, I know I know what they're about. I know the plots, and I've heard some some reviews from other people, but I did not watch either. The family basically is about um, a kid who's kidnapped when he is six years old, and then or nine years old, and then ten years later, this kid shows up and says that he's him. Um, when he gets back, his family is kind of in shambles. His mother's running for governor. She's had has a strange relationship with his father. His brother's kind of a junkie. His sister's become a crazy Christian, all kind of due to his uh, kidnapping when he was little. The thing is, is that they were not sure if it's him. There's a lot of twists and turns, and it's so, for lack of a better word, pulpy. <laughs> um, it's just that over-plot heavy thing that ABC does every once in a while, kind of like Revenge, where it's it's so... I loved Revenge. See, I liked Revenge. So plot-driven, though. Like, there's one or two questions that need to be answered, and once they're answered, what then? And I think Twin Peaks kind of <laughs> fell into that, where you can't drag it out too long because people get frustrated and tune out. But if you answer the question too quickly, then you have nothing else to tell. And I, well, I, I feel like this has a danger of that. I, I, I mean, it's fixable. I hope that they it's a great cast. Oh, my God. Yeah. Matt, Matt Saracen as a junkie? Yes, please. <laughs> but I, it wasn't enough for me to tune back in. It it kind of reminded me of a documentary a few years ago called The Imposter. So I would recommend watching that over watching this show. <laughs> well, like, it seems to me if there's a question of whether or not he's actually their son – wouldn't a simple DNA test clear that up? You think, but they said they got DNA proof, and then the first episode ended with a reporter saying the doctor who said the DNA test was true, he disappeared. He doesn't exist. Scandalous. Ah. Yeah. It was, okay. it was a little trait. I, I may need to give it another chance, but it didn't win me over right away. Okay. So another show on ABC about a family with a lot of issues, but in a different way, is The Real O'Neills. Yeah, conversely, <laughs> and maybe I'm biased because I grew up Irish Catholic, but oh my goodness, did I enjoy this show. I don't know if you would like it, but... I love Martha Plimpton. Love I mean, it's, it's tough Martha not to love Martha Plimpton. Plimpton. Yeah. And the guy that plays her husband was uh, Stan Rizzo on Mad Men. Okay. But it's basically, um, you know, it's an Irish Catholic family. They have three kids. They want to be perfect in the eyes of the church and the community. And it all comes, they're at a church benefit or whatever and they all have a confrontation and they find out Martha Plimpton's character and her husband are splitting up the one son is bulimic the other son is gay and the daughter is a thief and they happen to reveal that in front of the entire church so <laughs> it was converse to the family it's all about these characters and I'm sure they can tell a thousand stories and immediately from the pilot I was invested in them and that's not easy to do. Like, we've discussed that no. so many yeah. times to have a perfect pilot. And it wasn't perfect. For a comedy, especially for a comedy. Yeah, but it was a great setup. And all these – the kids' actors, um, I don't – I'm not really familiar with them. Though. I'm, I've seen the girl before. She was on that show, um, The Short-Lived New Normal. Oh, yeah, yeah, with, the uh, with Andrew Reynolds. Yeah. yeah. So she I've seen and, of course, the parents. But it was just really, really enjoyable. Um, all right. So I, I right, honestly I don't know if you like it, but – I really enjoyed it. Okay, here's a show that is premiering. I don't. It's not really a show. It's a movie, but it's on Netflix, so I'm going to put it in our movie category here. One that, Jen, you and I talked about briefly about expectations, and we are, no surprise, on opposite sides of this. On March 18th, Netflix is releasing, get ready, Pee-wee's Big Holiday, uh, produced by Judd Apatow, written by the one and only Paul Rubens, and Paul Rust of Loving. Uh, or love, <laughs> not loving. Loving was so an popular. old ABC soap. Yep. Uh, 
so yeah, so Pee Wee is coming back, and I've, we've both only seen the trailer. Netflix is not great on screeners, but I wanted to love this, and I was just left completely cold by that trailer. Kind of took a Zoolander 2 approach to it, where it's like, oh, I know exactly what this movie is, it's exactly what I want it to be, and I know that I'll think it's adorable. Okay. I didn't get the same original, you know, big adventure or playhouse vibes from that trailer at all. So I'm hoping I'm wrong because while I was by no means a huge Pee Wee fan, I enjoyed his style of, of comedy and storytelling and I would like to enjoy it. I just didn't get that vibe after the trailer itself. I was a little old for Pee Wee's uh, Playhouse, but I loved Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Okay, Jen, you and I haven't seen a whole lot of movies lately, but there was one that each of us wanted to talk about. You wanted to talk about a movie that I haven't heard of called Morning Sun. Mm -hmm. So what is that all about? Do you know who Dave Navarro is? Yeah, yes, I'm, I know who Dave Navarro is. Well, I don't know. You only listen to show tunes and sports radio, so yes, I just want to yes, make sure. Yes, but I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, okay. and of course I know who he is. Well, Morning Sun is a documentary about the life of Dave Navarro, and you think, ugh, another yeah. documentary about a rock star. But did you know that his mother was murdered in 1983? And he, this is a documentary about that story. He was 15 years old, and his mother was brutally murdered by her boyfriend, and the killer was at large for nearly 10 years and was caught because of America's Most Wanted. Ne really? Never heard this story before, had no idea. You know I'm a true crime junkie. Any yes. dateline, any ID channel, I'm in. So he um, made this documentary about that. The whole thing takes place in a car as he and his friend are driving, and they're telling the story. And then towards the end of the documentary, you realize where they're going is San Quentin, and he wants to confront the guy who killed his mother. Wow. It was so intense. <laughs> I, My skin was crawling. And the last half hour was – you would never be able to handle it. Like I'm not saying no. this was a great movie. You need to watch it. Don't watch it. But <laughs> if you want listeners to experience it – a, it's a fantastic story. He does a great job. Um, he's a freaky dude, and you can kind of see where it stems from, and he makes no apologies for who he is, and it was just a really well-done documentary. It's on VOD and um, I think iTunes available for rent and for purchase, but mm -hmm. it was a little traumatizing. <laughs> I had trouble sleeping. Wow. You would have thought that the craziest thing he ever did was marry Carmen Electra, but... Every decision he has made where you're like, oh, that guy's a freak, it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of get it. <laughs> Like he, it was, it was, uh, enlightening to say the least. Okay. Well, interesting. That's good to know. All right. Morning sun. So check that out. If you want to know about why Dave Navarro is one of the most bizarre human beings on the planet. True. Um, I got a chance to recently see the movie Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which is a movie that is based on a true story about a war, a female war correspondent uh, in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Tina Fey plays a war correspondent named Kim Baker. It is based loosely on the book by actual war correspondent Kim Barker. So she just dropped the first R from her last name. I really 
wanted to go in and love this movie. It's written by Robert Carlock, who is Tina Fey's, you know, regular collaborator on 30 Rock and and um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And what's great about this movie is, is that there's a lot of really interesting characters. Margot Robbie plays another war correspondent. Martin Freeman, Billy Bob Thornton, Alfred Molina plays the prime minister of Afghanistan. There are some really great actors doing some really great work. But there's no real plot to this movie. There's no narrative structure to what's going on. So while the characters are great, there's some funny lines. It's a really interesting look at a woman finding herself. I mean, and this is going to sound trite and I don't mean it to, but it's like eat, pray, love in war. Um, Because it really is she takes the job as a war correspondent because it's either continue her tedious life that she hates or go out and do something with her life. And she finds out who she is by taking this journey. And, you know, I, I expected more from Tina Fey and it, it just wasn't there. The Like I said, characters are great. There's some comedy in it, but there's not a lot of plot to it. There's some nice action sequences and some interesting little sub stories, but as a whole, it's not a cohesive unit. So if you love either Tina Fey or you love war stories, check it out, but it's not, it, you know, it didn't do what I thought it would, but Again, as we've talked about before, movies of this ilk that end up coming out in the first couple months of the year, that's usually a pretty good indication that they are not the highest quality, because if they were, they'd be released in November and December for awards consideration. Interesting. I'll probably still check it out. Um, I love Tina Fey, and um, I actually have heard mixed reviews on it, so since I rarely trust yeah. your opinion, I'm going <laughs> to go check it out. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. it's one of those where there's plenty to like in it. But if you go in thinking Tina Fey's incredible, which she is, I, I think you might be let down because this isn't I don't know that this really maximizes her abilities. Similarly to what I said about Hail Caesar last month, great characters, great dialogue, but no cohesive storytelling. So but still check them out. Let us know what you think on Twitter. Per the huge, we are going to end this episode of Some Like It Pop with a little show and tell where we auditorily show you something and then tell you why it fascinates us. Jen, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Um, You can go first. Okay. The reason that I started this episode off talking about Jen's audiobook habit is because she recently recommended a book to me. Actually, it was a few months ago. I'm so but, flattered. Well, it, it's not exactly what you think, so oh, don't get too flattered. Mind. But she recommended a book to me a few months ago called Ready Player One. It is a YA mashup of kind of Willy Wonka and The Matrix and The Da Vinci Code. I finally got around to reading it last week. And after plowing through 158 pages last night, I finished at 2.30 this morning, which is why I'm babbling a little more than normal. <laughs> it's it's not normally the type of book that I that I read. I don't usually do a whole lot of YA stuff, but I obviously enjoyed it tremendously since I put off sleep, which is something I try not to do. It is being adapted to the big screen by Steven Spielberg, so I'm sure we'll talk about it in the future. However, I always like to know a little bit about the author and all this stuff when I'm reading a book. So I did a little research on Ernest Klein, who is the author. This is his first book, but he is also a screenwriter and a spoken word poet. As I was looking up some more information, I came across a video of him performing his most famous spoken word piece called Dance Monkey Dance. Here is, here is a clip. So, 
Orbiting the sun at about 98 million miles is a little blue planet. And this planet is run by a bunch of monkeys. Now, the monkeys don't think of themselves as monkeys. They don't even think of themselves as animals. In fact, they love to list all the things that they think separate them from the animals. Supposable thumbs, self-awareness. They'll use words like homo erectus and australopithecus. You say tomato, I say tomato. They're animals, all right. They're monkeys. Monkeys with high-speed digital fiber optic technology, but monkeys nevertheless. I mean, they're clever. You've got to give them that. Pyramids, skyscrapers, phantom jets, the Great Wall of China. That's some pretty impressive shit for a bunch of monkeys. Monkeys whose brains have evolved to such an unmanageable size that it's now pretty much impossible for them to stay happy for any length of time. In fact, they're the only animals that think they're supposed to be happy. All the other animals can just be. But it's not that simple for the monkeys. You see, the monkeys are cursed with consciousness, which makes the monkeys afraid. So the monkeys worry. The monkeys worry about everything, but mostly about what all the other monkeys think. Because the Damn. monkeys desperately want to fit That's in. That's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, pretty good, huh? That's great. So, Jen, so thank you. I enjoyed the book tremendously. I'm so flattered that you took my recommendation and you loved it. I did. I did. Now I'm going to – my normal routine is read a novel read a couple comic books, read a novel. So I've got some comics lined up, but the next book I'm going to read, just so you know, is Mycroft Holmes, written by NBA Hall of Famer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No judgment. No, it's actually, it got great reviews. And from, I had some some friends who are Holmesians who actually recommended it. So who knows? Hey, we're all about reading. If there's one thing this, this podcast promotes, it's literacy. That is <laughs> very true. All right. So what is your show and tell for this week, Jen? Have you ever heard of a, a band called the Foo Fighters? Are you serious? Okay, look, I know I don't <laughs> listen to a lot of music, but Dave Navarro and the Foo Fighters, I've, not, I've heard of okay. both. Yes. So since they got together, have you have you seen this online this week? I'm assuming have, you have. I have, yes. Since they got together, every everybody is always wondering when they're going to break up. I don't know why. You know, they're really good friends. They tour all the time. They record. Dave broke his leg in the middle of a concert last year and finished the concert. He's pretty dedicated. So amongst all of the latest rumors, since he performed at the Oscars last week, a beautiful rendition of Blackbird, um, it fueled the rumors again. He's doing a lot of solo projects. So the Foo Fighters Twitter account tweeted out that they were going to make official band announcement. Everyone went crazy. They're breaking up. Here it comes. It's finally happening. And they dropped one of the most epic trolls I've ever seen, and they made a whole video of Dave recording new music, including EDM and another jazz song called Phony Baloney. And the rest of the band sat around trying to come up with new singers, including Prince. And they finally picked a new singer who turned out to be Nick Lachey. Um <laughs> Was, I love Nick Lachey. Don't let's not knock Nick Lachey. Okay? No, he not he didn't sound awful either. By the way, he sounded pretty good oh. singing "Learning to Fly," and it was really cool of him to show up and, and be the butt of their joke. And it's just a great troll on the media and the Twitter outrage that occupies our lives these days. <laughs> it's about a seven-minute video of them just basically giving the middle finger to all of that, and they're not breaking up. They're fine. So I highly recommend that video. Here's a clip. Come on, baby, feeling hungry, need a little phony baloney. I don't know, I was thinking something that's new.
So it just made me really happy. Um, he's one of my favorite musicians on the planet. And uh, anytime they can piss off the media and, and the Twitter trolls, I'm really happy. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who's had two really important stages of his musical life. First as the drummer for, what was that band? That I think they were a small little indie band called Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to be the front man for Foo Fighters. They're one of the most enduring rock bands of the past 20-some years. I mean, this is... He's a he's a legend, and what they've done with the Foo Fighters together is uh, is pretty great. He is a legend, and I've seen them live, and it's one of the best concerts I've ever seen. And I know you're not big on going out in public, but <laughs> and neither am I. Neither am I. No judgment. <laughs> so. Yeah, you were the one talking about introverts earlier. Yeah, it's so. a big deal for me to leave. That's why I'm saying how amazing they are. Yeah. All right. Well, Jen, on that note of amazingness, why don't you close us out for this episode of Some Like It Pop? Well, thank you for joining us again. I'm Eponine Q on Twitter and Matt is at BWW Matt. You can always find us on Broadway World writing about all of our obsessions. And until next time, always remember my TV is broken and I cannot be alone with my thoughts. So please go to one or all of those apps and subscribe so you can get every episode of Some Like It Pop as soon as it's available. As soon as it... So please go to one or all of those apps and subscribe. Don't laugh. That doesn't help. (laughs) (laughs) This is what happens. This is why I go to bed early. Deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. I haven't really... You stayed up too late reading. Seriously, I'm I'm all off my game. I smell an allegory. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World's Some Like It Pop podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can now get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Some Like It Pop. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the shows, movies, and topics that we discuss each week. We'll be back next week with not one, but two mini-episodes. The first will be dedicated to one of Jen and Mai's favorite holidays, the first day of the NCAA basketball tournament. The second will be our top ten favorite Oscar best picture Lista Palooza. I've also started a new daily theater news podcast with Broadway Radio's James Marino, so subscribe to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for our beta episodes and let us know what you think. So, until next time, we'll see you around the Broadway world. <laughs>